Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and God. We're here and we are available. Uh, we offer ourselves to you. I offer myself to you now. I pray that you'd use my lips, my mouth, say what you want to say to your bride this morning. God, I love you. I want your spirit to move in this place. I want you to move in power. I want you to change somebody. I want you to redeem somebody. I want you to call somebody. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So today, we are continuing our series that Mark started last week called uh, Reunion Tour 2020. And in this series, we are looking at some stories that most of us probably uh, first heard when we were kids, like maybe stories that you would have heard if you grew up in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or something like that. Uh, Mark spoke last week on uh, Jericho, and I am going to talk this week about Jonah. Now, I know that some people uh, struggle with the plausibility of the Jonah story. And, uh, and I get it. Uh, the idea of a big fish uh, swallowing a grown man does seem pretty far-fetched. Uh, but you know what else seems pretty far-fetched? The incarnation seems pretty far-fetched. The idea that God would leave heaven and come to earth and put skin on, that seems... That seems pretty far-fetched. The crucifixion seems pretty far-fetched, that the Son of God would come and be hanged on a tree for the sins of all humanity. That seems pretty far-fetched. The resurrection seems pretty far-fetched. Need I remind you today that Jesus was like completely dead, and he was placed in uh, the tomb for three days, and then he rose from the grave. The resurrection seems pretty far-fetched. Church, I would argue that if you don't have any problem believing in the resurrection, you probably shouldn't have a problem believing that a fish could swallow a dude. The resurrection for believers should become the lens through which we view all of the supernatural activity of God. Now, don't miss that. Maybe the most important thing I say all morning, the resurrection for us should become the lens through which we view all of the supernatural activity of God. As believers, I think we should find ourselves often saying, if our God did that, then he can certainly do that. If our God did that, then he can certainly do that. Let me explain to you what, I'm, what I mean. If our God raised Jesus from the dead, then he can certainly part the Red Sea. If our God raised Jesus from the dead, then he could certainly seal the mouth of a lion. If our God raised Jesus from the dead, then he could certainly turn a whale into an Uber. Two-star rating. It was a smooth ride, but it smelled like fish. What I'm trying to say is, the one event, the resurrection, should lend validity to all the other events. We need to allow that uh, event, we need to allow the rising to transform our reasoning. And so I would encourage you, if that sentence isn't a part of your spiritual vocabulary, I would recommend that you add it to it. You just find yourself saying, how do you believe a story like that? Well, if God did that, he could certainly do that. And if that isn't enough for you, then let me bring it into the modern day, okay? 
Um, I found myself all week as I was studying uh, this story. Anytime I was questioning the validity of it, uh, I thought about my brother Mike Hamlin. And I thought, if God can take Mike's dead heart and make it beat again, then anything is possible. Anything is possible. You know, I think we need to be really careful, church, because I think a lot of us have allowed our cynicism to impose limits on a limitless God. So one of our value statements at Wasson is we say we will pray in the Spirit, believing all things are possible. Why? Because we really believe that with our God, all things are possible. The author Stephen Pressfield said it this way in his book, Do the Work. He said, a child has no trouble believing the unbelievable, nor does the genius or the madman. It's only you and I with our big brains and tiny hearts who doubt and overthink and hesitate. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, maybe one of the reasons we don't see a lot of miracles today is because a lot of church people don't really believe that our God is miraculous. But I'm here to tell you, He is. He is. Now, the truth remains, uh, the book of Jonah is one of the strangest books in the Bible. I mean, it's a weird book, and, and not just because it includes the story of the fish taxi, but uh, the narrative is strange and it is unpredictable. Like Jonah, we often see him, he acts in erratic ways. He is uh, an imperfect prophet at best. Here is a summary of the book of Jonah in 67 words. Y'all ready? I wrote this. A summary of the book of Jonah in 67 words. Here it is. God said go. Jonah said no. It's not going to be that deep, okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. A big storm came. Jonah was to blame. Thrown overboard, should have obeyed the Lord. Swallowed by a fish, wasn't ready for this. Tasted God's grace, now Nineveh's the place. Told them to repent, to their knees they went. Ought to have been happy, instead took a nappy. <laughs> Continued to rant, but God loves people more than plants. Did Jonah grow, we'll never know. Now, I'm not going to lie. I am pretty proud of that poem, okay? <laughs> I, this is, uh, I'm going to give myself a social distance high five. You ready? There it is. Got him. One more time. Got him. Uh, I don't know about you all, um, but I think that whole thing turned out pretty well. What do you think? I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that joke killed in the first service. I mean, yeah, it just it destroyed. Now, I know that is not a perfect retelling of the Jonah story. It is certainly an oversimplification of the story. And yet, uh, I also knew coming into this thing that I really wanted us to have the opportunity to dig into some of the details of the story, to look at um, some particular passages. And we're going to do that in a minute. But I didn't think we could do that until we had like a full picture of what happened in the book, until we had like a, a summary. And so that's why 
That's why I wrote that. But now we're going to spend the rest of our time together just looking at three passages from the book of Jonah. And coincidentally, all three passages uh, come from Jonah chapter 1, and there are four chapters to the book. So it's possible that I'll preach on Jonah again in a couple of weeks because uh, I ended up having to cut a lot of things out for the, for the sake of time. But um, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, these are things that I feel like I was supposed to talk about. So we're going to start with Jonah 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Jonah 1, 1 through 4. And the text says this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So the story begins with God calling Jonah and telling him to go to Nineveh. Jonah, we know, was a Jew, and the Ninevites were Gentiles. And the people of Nineveh were some of Israel's most detestable, like most hated enemies. One of the commentaries I read this week said about this story, said God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh would be like the equivalent of God asking a Jewish rabbi to go preach on the streets of Berlin during World War II. It's like this, for him to go to that place, it would have been uh, a death sentence. And Jonah doesn't just reject God's request, but he runs in the opposite direction. It's the equivalent of if God asked you to go to Mexico, if you immediately got in your car and headed for Canada. Jonah hopped on a boat headed for Tarshish, and no longer had he been on uh, this boat, boat set sail, till the Lord sent a huge storm upon the sea. And everyone on that boat feared for their lives. Church, what I want you to see here at the outset of the Jonah story, like the first thing I want to make sure you get is this. Sin brings storms, and storms lead to collateral damage. Sin brings storms, and storms lead to collateral damage. Tim Keller says it this way in his book, The Prodigal Prophet. And I really need you to listen here because I think he has an, uh, a really important, he offers a really important caveat to what I'm trying to say. But here it is. He says, the dismaying news is that every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. This is the part that I want to make sure you get. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. We cannot treat our bodies indifferently and still expect to have good health. We cannot treat people indifferently and expect to maintain their friendship. We cannot all put our own selfish interests ahead of the common good and still have a functioning society. If we violate the design and purpose of things, if we sin against our bodies, our relationships, or society, they strike back. There are consequences. Church, I can't promise you that your every act of obedience will be rewarded with earthly blessing. But I can promise you that your every act of disobedience will bring difficulty. Why? 
Because sin brings storms, and storms lead to collateral damage. <coughs> I grew up at an independent Baptist church not too far from here. And uh, as a kid, I heard a lot of talk about sin. The pastor talked pretty much every week. It was a gospel presentation every week, and he talked often about sin. But when he spoke about sin, he was talking about how sin separated us from God. And even as a young man, I think I understood that because I had it drilled into my head. But I don't think it was until I became a, a husband and a father that I really considered the collateral damage of sin. I don't think it was until I became a husband and a, and a father that I realized uh, the side effects of sin. The reality is, church, when we sin, we don't sin in a bubble. Like, our disobedience doesn't just have an effect on us, but it has an effect on our circle, and often enough, it expands out to other circles. This is what I mean. My wife sometimes has to bear the weight of my mistakes. My kids sometimes have to bear the weight of my mistakes, not because they did anything wrong, just because they ended up on the same boat as me. The same thing is true when you look at the Jonah story. All of the sailors, all of the mariners on that boat had to endure the same storm that Jonah did, but they didn't cause it. They were all walking through a storm of Jonah's causing. It is a painful thing, church, to see people wounded by our bad decisions. Like it's, I think it's one of the most painful things. When we do something in a vacuum and we think the decision we make, nobody else is going to know, nobody else is going to be hurt, and then we watch it spread like a virus. I honestly believe that if God would allow us to see the ripple effects of our sin, that it would be a great deterrent. Like if we could see the way that our bad decisions, the way our disobedience, the way it affects our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids, I think in a lot of ways that would lead us to turn it around. <coughs> my dad was, uh, uh, my dad's name was Joe. He was in the Korean War. And uh, he died in 1995. Uh, he's been dead 25 years, pretty hard to believe. But uh, he always had this, uh, this black spot, kind of big black spot on the left side of his cheek. And um, I remember, and as he grew older, that spot, you know, kind of would fade away a little bit. But I remember when I was a little kid asking him one time, I said, Dad, what's the deal? What, what caused that spot right there? And he said to me, he said, well, son, uh, he's like, when I was in the war, he's like, uh, I was uh, fairly close to where a bomb exploded. And he said, a piece of shrapnel flew up and it got lodged in my face. He goes, that's what, that's what that is. And so that black spot on my dad's face, it was a, a, a sign, it was a, a picture of what he had walked through. But what I need you to understand, church, is my dad didn't cause that explosion. He was just within its proximity. We don't have to cause the explosion to still be wounded by it. That is collateral damage. Sin brings storms. Storms cause scars. I mean, can you imagine if like my dad, if every time I made a bad decision or every time God called me to do something, I was disobedient to it. If I could see the way that it put marks on my kids or my grandkids' faces, I think that would be a pretty good deterrent. If we just had those physical representations, maybe then 
we would realize that our personal pleasure isn't worth their collective pain. Maybe then we would realize that that one act, our personal pleasure in the moment isn't worth their collective pain for many more moons, many more moments. Sin brings storms. Storms lead to collateral damage. Now let's look at the next text. Our next text is Jonah chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. Jonah 1, 12 through 16. And this is how the text reads. Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows." The other sailors in this story were uh, immediately, uh, really quickly at least, able to identify uh, that Jonah was the root of the problem. We're told in the story that they drew straws and that Jonah drew the short straw. Um, But these sailors apparently were good men because they still tried to fight on Jonah's behalf. Like they still did everything to try to row the boat to shore without having to do anything to Jonah. But once Jonah realized that this storm wasn't going to cease and there was nothing they could do to get back, Jonah went to them and he said, I'm the problem. Throw me in the sea. And so the sailors took Jonah and they hurled him into the water. And the Bible says, as soon as Jonah hit the water, the storm ceased. No more wind, no more waves, no more rain. I mean, can you imagine being one of the people on, the, uh, on that boat and, and seeing that happen, seeing the, the sea calm instantly. The Bible says that the sailors feared the storm, but then when the storm stopped, they exceedingly feared the Lord. And not only did they fear the Lord, but even on the ship, they made sacrifices to him, to God, and they made vows and promises to Jonah's God church. The next thing I want you to see in this story is that the plans of God can never be thwarted. The plans of God can never be thwarted. Think about it. At the beginning of the story, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And the idea was that Jonah was uh, supposed to go and he was supposed to kind of win some of the, the Ninevites into the kingdom. God was going to expand uh, the expanse of his grace. He was going to welcome some new people in. Uh, but Jonah, as we know, uh, rejected his call. He didn't listen. He didn't go. He didn't preach. And yet still some Gentile sailors came to know God. And yet still, there were some people on that boat who, even with Jonah trying to hide, God was still the whole time making himself known. I think the lesson here, church, is that as humans, we can participate in the work of God, but we cannot prevent the work of God. We can participate in his work, 
but we cannot prevent his work. Nobody gets in the way of Yahweh. God always does what he intends to do. God says, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Jonah says, I'm not going to the Gentiles. God says, I'm going to bring the Gentiles to you. God is going to accomplish his will. God wants to see some Gentiles come to know him. Some Gentiles are going to come to know him. If God wants to see you come to know him, you're going to come to know him. If God wants you to go to a place, he's going to make sure that you get to that place by whatever means because the plans of God can never be thwarted. Man, the sooner you can learn that in your life, the better off, the better off you'll be. And here's the last one. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. This is our final text for the day. Jonah 1, 17 is just one verse. This is what it says. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. One of the things I think you'll see if you read the book of Jonah all the way through, and I would recommend you do that. It's not that long again, just four chapters. One of the things I think you'll pick up on is that in the book of Jonah, God wasn't just pursuing the people of Nineveh, but he was pursuing Jonah. I mean, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, but he sent a storm for Jonah, and he sent a big fish for Jonah. And then later in the story, he sends a shade tree for Jonah. The storm was meant to change Jonah's direction. The fish was meant to change his perspective, and the shade tree was meant to change his heart. Church, I would argue that God wasn't just trying to use Jonah to save Nineveh, but he was trying to use Nineveh to save Jonah. There is nobody in the story that God isn't pursuing. Like, that's the main thing I want you to see. It's the main thing that struck me this week as I was studying this book is that the sailors in the story, the mariners, we've already talked about that. God was going after them. The people of Nineveh, who were supposed to be the enemies of the Jews and of God, he was going after them. And the whole time throughout the book, it is the story of God pursuing Jonah, trying to get Jonah to soften his hard heart. The last thing I want you to see in this story, church, is that God is at all times calling all people. God is at all times calling all people. About a month ago, we had a, a bird that built a nest uh, in our backyard. Bethany's got this like shelving unit back there and she's got like some decorative baskets and stuff like that on it. And we had a bird come and the bird built a nest in uh, one of her baskets. And Bird put some eggs in there, and after a few days, these eggs hatched, okay? And so these birds were like the cutest little things. I mean, we think they were warblers. And I would sit out there in the backyard, sometimes smoke a cigar or read a book, and I would just watch as uh, the mama bird would like fly and go get food and bring it to the babies. I mean, it was like the sweetest thing. And this mama just, she worked her little bird tail off. I mean, she did to like to, to, to feed her, her babies. Well, uh, after a couple of weeks, like we'd check in on them every couple of days. We'd just kind of walk out and like look into the basket and make sure that they're still there and see how, you know, they'd grow like twice the size in just a, in just a few days. Well, our whole family was out there uh, one day, just a few, a few weeks ago, and we didn't hear the chirping anymore. And so we thought, okay, maybe birds have escaped and Bethany can get her basket back. Like, this would be great. 
And so Ella goes over there to look into uh, the basket, and she nudges it just a little bit. And when she does, five baby birds come leaping out of the basket. Two of them take off flying immediately. Three of them hit the ground and go into hiding. And we're just sitting there going, oh, no, man, we just killed a bunch of baby birds. Like, what were we supposed to do? And so I told, I told uh, my, my family, <laughs> I told, I'm the wise one at our house. I told the family, I'm like, all right, this is what we're going to do. I want everybody to just sit down, and we're going to be quiet, and we're going to let nature run its course. <laughs> and so uh, we just sat there, and we were trying to be still to just let whatever was going to happen, happen. Well, as soon as those babies hit the ground and the two started flying, you know, that mom immediately flew back and posted up. And she posted up about 15 feet from where the nest was. And she just sat there and for like 10 minutes, she just called and called and called. And I mean, it was this, it was a desperate call. It was a, it was a very piercing call. And after some time, the two birds that were flying went and as the mom called, they just flew around her head and those three babies, they all, at first they hid under Langston and Riggs' sandbox. And once they heard their mom call, they ran out from the sandbox and they ran, in, they, they ran to where their mama was. You know, to the birds that were flying, I think they heard uh, their mom's call as an invitation to keep going, keep flying, keep doing what you're doing. But for those that were on the ground, for those who had fallen, I think they heard the mom's call as a call to come home. Come home. You can be safe with me. Come to where I am. But either way, whether falling or flying, the mama was calling. The mama never stopped calling. Church, I would argue the same thing is true about our God. I was trying to think about how I wanted to uh, to talk about this today, the call of God extended to, to the whole world to come. And I thought, man, how, what's a good verse to connect with that? And I was in my office and I was studying and I couldn't come up with one. And uh, I left the, the office and I was going back to the house and the back door was locked and I was frustrated. I was like, okay, I got to walk to the, I got to walk to our front door. And I'm walking uh, around to, the, to the, the front door and going up on the porch. And uh, as it turns out, Earlier in the morning, uh, this truck had came by our house and uh, it had dumped like a whole trash bag had fallen out in the road. And this happened. Bethany and I saw it happen. I mean, when it hit, there's like trash all over the place. But we were going somewhere uh, to to celebrate uh, Father's Day with Bethany's dad. And so we're like, we'll just take care of it when we get back. Well, I'd forgot about it. I go back to my office and I'm working yesterday. And then when I leave my office, back door's locked, walking around to the front. Most of the trash at this point, the wind has carried away. Okay? But in my front yard, there is one piece of paper. If you leave here and drive by my house today, there'll still be a few pieces of trash right down next to the ditch because I'm too lazy to get down there yet. Okay? But I'm walking up and this piece of paper is just laying right there uh, in my front yard. It's the only piece of trash close to the porch. I'm thinking, what is that? So I walk over and pick it up. It is Revelation chapter 22, the whole chapter. That's all it is. I'm thinking, what in the world? So I pick this piece of paper up, and I'm like, well, okay. Maybe you got got something you want to say to me. Maybe I was missing something. I pick the paper up. I read it. Revelation 22. Verse 17, a text you all probably know, says this. 
the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Church, at all times and for all people, our God is standing in the streets and he is calling, come, come. And for some of you who've been serving him for a long time, you're supposed to hear those words as an encouragement to keep going, keep serving, keep loving, keep doing what you're doing. But for those of you who don't know him, he's calling you home. It's the call of a father. It doesn't matter whether you're flying or you're falling, our God is calling. Come home. Come home. I stand up here today as a pastor, been one for a long time, and I stand up on behalf of God trying to say what I think I'm supposed to say to you, and the one word that I know very clearly that I'm supposed to share with you is this, God says to you, come. 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 When you hear those words, what do you hear? Just like with Jonah, it's his responsibility to respond. Just like with the sailors, it's their responsibility to respond. Just like with Nineveh, it's their responsibility to respond. But when you hear the word come, what do you hear? Is God saying to you, like he said to Jonah, come with me, let's go on a journey. Come with me, I have some things I want you to do. Come with me, I have some things that I want to show you. Or are you lost? And God is saying to you this morning, come home. Come home. There is safety with me. There is peace with me. Come to me. Three lessons we can learn from the book of Jonah. One, sin brings storms. Storms lead to collateral damage. Two, the plans of God can never be thwarted. And three, our God is at all times calling out to all people. That's all I got this morning, church. Thanks for hanging out.